So my senior year of high school, one day after cross-country practice, me and a bunch of friends still had energy. Uh, so I was coming from practice, they were all coming from school, and so we decided we're going to meet at the park and we're going to play football. As a cross-country runner, this is totally not allowed because you don't want to do anything to risk injury. And since I weighed like 125 pounds at the time, a good gust of wind was going to hurt me. Uh, and so we're playing, we're having a great time, and then one time in between plays, we see this car that pulls up. It looks a lot like my coach's. This guy jumps out of the car who looks a lot like my coach. So this is like late 90s. This is before normal people having cell phones. And he had called my house because he wanted to talk to me about something for next week. My mom answers the phone and says, no, Kenny's not here. He's playing football with some friends down at Lemon Park. So my coach hopped in his car. He ran out. And so we're standing there on the park, frozen, as our coach, this guy who looks like my coach, jumps out of the car. And in a voice that sounds a lot like my coach, says, if you even sprain your ankle, I will break your leg off. Go home. So I put my head down. I walked to my mom's car. I got in the car. And shaking, I drove home. I was one million percent caught doing something I was totally not supposed to do. That was 20 years ago. I can look back at that now and laugh and joke about it. And the people who were there remember it. Uh, and, and there are things like that that we all have, where we can look back at memories from 20 years ago or from 20 minutes ago and we can laugh. And then we also have memories and lifestyle patterns that we don't laugh about. Stuff that we don't want people to talk to us about. Stuff that we would rather nobody ever brings up again. And today we're going to look at a story of a guy who had a moment like that. But it gets brought up again. And the reason that it gets brought in is because Jesus completely transforms the guy's moment. Takes it from the most horrible, most forgettable moment of his life. And he uses it as a vehicle to demonstrate God's love. We're talking about a guy named Peter. Uh, Peter shows us that there is hope for change. Peter is, a is an apostle of Jesus. He's a disciple like Thomas, the guy who we talked about last week. Thomas is the calculated guy. He always has a plan. He always has an answer. Peter is not that. Peter is like, hold my manna. I'm going. So there's a, there's a time that really demonstrates Peter's braveness, his excitement for life, uh, the way that he's the guy who takes risks. He's the leader. He's first. Uh, him and his disciple friends, uh, are on a boat in the middle of the lake. Jesus isn't there. And there's all these waves and all this big storm that comes on the boat, and they're thinking, we're going to die. This is not good. And then Jesus comes out to them walking on the water. He is barefoot water skiing without a boat. And Peter, being the brave leader, instead of saying, thank God you're here, we're going to be okay, he says, hey, if it's really you, Jesus, I want to walk out on the water to you. Call me out to you. I'm going to walk on the water. I'm going to go toward you. And so Jesus says, all right, Peter, come on, let's go. So Peter, the first non-Jesus human in the history of the world to jump out of the boat, and instead of sinking through the water, he's walking on the water because he's brave, because he's fearless, because he's a risk taker, and he's walking towards Jesus, and as he walks towards Jesus, he sees uh, the wind and the waves and the way that it looks so bad on the outside, and he begins to get fearful, and he begins to sink, and Jesus immediately smiles and reaches out and grabs him. He says, where's your faith? He's saying, You're, you can put faith in me. It shows that Peter's frail. It shows that Peter makes mistakes. But seriously, he walked on water. Like, this is the biggest thing ever for people. And that's the type of person that Peter is. is he's the guy who's going to take the risk to walk on water. There's another time. The night before Jesus was killed, in Mark 14, Jesus has his disciples around him. They're at dinner. And he says to Peter, he says, all of you, this is all of his 12 disciples, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say that God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and I will meet you there. 
And Peter, the risk taker, the leader, he says, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. So after that, Jesus is arrested. He's betrayed by one of the 12, and and he's taken to a trial where he's falsely tried and falsely convicted. And outside of that trial, Peter is there, warming himself by a fire, surrounded by other people. And this is Peter's moment. Right after, he pounded the table and says, I'm never going to leave. Everybody else can run away, but I'm different. I'm stronger. I'm better. This is Peter's forgettable moment. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard, and one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway, and just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them, but Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man that you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter broke down and he wept. And you know, we've all been Peter. Okay, we've all been in that position where our lives deny Jesus' role in it. And there are only two ways that you can say, I've never been Peter. The first one is if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. This has never been you because you've got, no, you, you've got no lifestyle that you're trying to emulate in Jesus. You're not trying to live your life in a way that makes Jesus look good. That's just not you. So you've never been there. The second way where you can say it's never been me is just if you're a liar. So, I mean, you're out there. You can lie all you want and say, I've never been Peter when all reality we all have. There are two guys who wrote about this in the Bible. One of them is a guy named Paul. He says in Romans 3.23 that everyone has sinned. If you have a pulse, you have sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Another guy was, was one who was there with Peter, with Jesus, the night that Jesus said, all you are going to run away. He says if we say that we don't have sin, we are lying, and the truth is not in us. Sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He was there. And we've all been Peter, and there are five ways that I want to touch on right now where we find denial in our lives. We find us playing the part of Peter where he said, no, 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 I don't even know that. The first is doing exactly what Jesus, exactly what Peter did, and that's to say, I don't even know who Jesus is. I mean, based on the way that things are in the states right now, there is no way for any of us to ever say and to ever feel like we are fearful for our lives because we are Christians, Instead, it's the opposite. Jesus tells us, I want you to go everywhere, and I want you to tell everyone exactly who I am. And that means for us, that means that we tell people who Jesus is. There's one of those moments that's seared in my head forever when I was 16, and I had a friend pouring out his heart to me about what's going on in his life, and I could feel the Holy Spirit saying, dude, this is your time to tell him about Jesus, and I completely whiffed on it. And it's one of those things that stuck with me. It's part of what made me a pastor. It's that failure. I'm saying, I'm going to run from that for the rest of my life and for the rest of my life, tell everyone I can about who Jesus is. And so we deny Jesus by not telling people that we follow Jesus. Second way is we deny Jesus by refusing to be baptized. So in that moment where Jesus says, I want you to go everywhere and tell everyone about me, the central mark of what it is for people to follow Jesus, the central mission of the church in that is baptism. 
He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Like, this is the sign, baptism. If Jesus is a big part of our life, if our role in the church, our involvement in the church is a big part of our life, then baptism is the natural progression of that. It's us telling people about who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives in an intentional, physical way. Us not being baptized, us refusing to be baptized is refusing to give God the glory that he deserves because what he's done inside of you and me, that he has rescued us from a life of sin and freed us to a life of following him. We deny Jesus by refusing to be baptized. We also deny Jesus by not tithing. There's a lot in the Bible about this. Jesus talked so much about resource management, about stewardship, about how we take care of the things that Jesus graciously puts in our life. And not tithing is telling God that we don't trust him as our provider. Not tithing is telling God that we don't trust that if we give 10% back to him through the local church, that he's going to use the next 90 to meet every single need that we have and more. Jesus tells us, you should tithe. And so we as people, we're going to be people who, who live out what Jesus says and don't deny him by the way that we talk, by the things that we think, but also by the way that we spend our money. We don't want to deny Jesus by how we spend our money and clutch our money and say, I'm going to live my life with tight fists around my money, but instead living in obedient generosity as we return to God what he has given to us, what he's asked for from us, and that's 10% of what we have. We're trusting him to provide as we give back to him. Fourthly, we deny Jesus by living in isolation and avoiding Christian community. We're denying the fact that you and I are actually built to have other people around us, that we're built to have other Christians around us who can sharpen us, and that God also created you in a way where there are people around you who need you not just for what you give to their life as provider or as parent or whatever, as friend, but for the way that you can help shape them to be the men and women that God created them to be. That's how we live out our place in the Christian community, in the family, as one of the ways that the Bible talks about the church, that we're the body of Christ. We work together as a body, which means that we depend on each other and we make each other stronger. The last lay that we don't want to deny Jesus is we don't want to deny Jesus when our response to people around us is not loving and it leads them to bitterness and getting offended. We don't want to be angry people. We don't want to be judgmental people. We don't want to be unforgiving people. I get it. Like we are all living in quarantine. We're all surrounded by our family 24-7 or 24-9 as it seems because everything is going so slowly right now, which means that none of us have an excuse to be rude. None of us have an excuse to lash out at our family and the people around us, the people uh, who see so much of us. That as Christians, this is our opportunity to press into the grace of Jesus, press into the love of Jesus. And the best news about this is that our hope for change is found in Jesus' death and resurrection. Our hope for change is found in Jesus' death and resurrection. Like we live in a world of people who feel like they have failed God. As a church, we are a church of people feel like we have failed God. And that's exactly where Peter was. He leaves, the, he leaves Jesus' trial that night embarrassed that the crowd broke him, that he made his promise, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. And it lasted for about three hours. And then it was gone. 
And what happens after that is Peter goes home. He goes into hiding. Jesus is killed. Jesus is taken down from the cross. He's put in a tomb. And what we celebrated last Sunday is that Jesus rose from the dead. God rose Jesus from the dead, walked him out of his own tomb as a way of saying that his death on the cross completely covered our sins, Peter included. And the resurrection is the truth. It's the belief point for us to see that as Jesus walked out of the tomb, God is bringing our lives with him so that we can live new lives through Jesus. The cross absorbs our sin that cancels the debt that we owe to God. And the resurrection is the proof to Peter and to you and to me that we are forgiven. And people who have experienced God's forgiveness are the greatest at demonstrating it. You know, as we live in a world right now where people are on edge in so many ways, church Christians, this is a moment for us to rise up and be the loving, forgiving people that God in Jesus demonstrates for us perfectly. So Monday, I was at home, and uh, and I'm an explosive guy up here and everything, and it'd be uh, I'd be a liar to say that that never follows me home in negative ways. Uh, and so I just kind of like got attacked by a mood, you know, like every sudden everything's great, and then all of a sudden, like in your head, something flips, and you're like bitter and stuff for the rest of the day. Uh, and so Anna's asking me, she's like, "Why? What's going on? What's going on?" And finally, I I told her and just explained everything to her, just what was running through my head and how that made me feel like trash and all that stuff. And she said, okay, I forgive you. Thank you so much for telling me. It's like that's the person on earth who I have hurt the most in our 16 years of marriage. Nobody has been hurt by me more than she has. But she understands God's grace. She understands God's forgiveness. And so that flowed out of her. And Peter, our man, our representative, our hope for change experienced that. So Jesus is risen from the dead. He's resurrected. He's living a new life, being seen by people all over the place. Everybody knows that Jesus is alive, that something's different except for Peter. Instead of telling people about who Jesus is, Peter has gone back to his old job. He says, all right, I got to give up on myself right now. I'm cut from the team. I blew it. I messed up. And so Peter's out fishing one day, and Jesus goes to him, and he calls him out of the lake. Peter jumps out of the boat and he runs into Jesus and they have breakfast together with the other disciples. And after breakfast, Jesus and Peter go for a walk. This is John chapter 21. And Jesus asks him, this is right after Peter had denied three times even knowing him. Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah, you know I love you. He says, okay, then feed my lambs. Walk a little bit farther, he asks him again, do you love me? He says, yeah. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And the third time he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question the third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. And when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let Peter know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus said, follow me. This is our hope for change. That in Peter's most regrettable, most forgettable, please don't tell anyone about this moment, he meets Jesus afterwards who shows him what forgiveness looks like. Who shows him what it's gonna be like to embrace that, to model that, even to the point of death for the rest of his life. And that's something that grabs Peter's heart so much that once again, he leaves his fishing business to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. 
And so for us, our challenge today is to stop denying Jesus. And the first way that you stop denying Jesus is to become a follower of Jesus. There's a number down here at the bottom of the screen where you can text in and just send your name and say, I want to become a follower of Jesus today. And someone will call you and they will pray with you over the phone on how you can become a follower of Jesus today. It comes down to three things. First off, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus into the world for you because he wants a relationship with you now. Second thing is that all of us, me included, have sin in our life that pushes us away from God because God can't be in the presence of sin. And Jesus came into the world to bridge that gap and to bring us in relationship with God by forgiving our sins. And three, today's your day to say, that's me. If that's you today, I want you to text your name to the bottom, to the number on the bottom of the screen and someone's gonna call you and pray with you. And for the rest of us, I want us to take a step today to stop denying Jesus in the way that we're denying Jesus, in the way that our lives don't match up with the life that Jesus calls us to live. And so for you, it's the same thing. I want you to text your name to the number that's at the bottom of the screen. And someone's going to call you, and I want you to say, I want to stop denying Jesus because of my sin of, and then say it right there. Say what it is. Name it so that we can pray for it, so that you can pray for it and ask God to come in and free you from whatever it is. Because there's hope for change. There's hope for the things that we can laugh about and say, yeah, God's one day going to deal with that. There's hope for the things that we have carried around with us way too long that we don't want anyone to know about. There's hope for change because Jesus loves us and wants to work in our lives. Let's go back into worship.